0: We're going down. You know, I've always been impressed with the human's mind ability to remember specific phrases from movies and then recall them when a similar situation occurs in real life. My wife and I frequently quote children's movies and say things like, can I come into the out now? Which if anybody is familiar with the movie Home, that's where that's from. Another one that I can think of is a mom always said, life is like a box of chocolates. What's the rest of that one? Anybody know it? You never know what you're gonna get. While the great Forrest Gump was right on many accounts, I'd like to introduce you to a different version that I'm hoping you might remember. Life is like a game of chutes and ladders. You never know where God is going to lead you. You see, back when Hurricane Ida hit, I was in the middle of transitioning to a new career in sales. Prior to that, I always worked in operational IT for Hancock Whitney Bank, and I was responsible for securing their network and fixing their problems. Moving into sales was a huge shift in corporate culture, expectations, and just job culture in general, which has all been extremely positive for me. It's all been great. But much like phrases from movies get stuck in our heads and adopted into our regular conversations, there are two phrases I picked up from my new management team. The first phrase is fail forward fast. You see, in the sales world, there are many tactics and strategies to being successful, but not all of them are going to work. This phrase is our management's way of reminding us that we need to push boundaries, we need to be aggressive, and that we're going to fail. You see, failure is absolutely gonna happen as being a human. There's no way to avoid it, there's no way to get around it. But the message they tell us is whenever you fail, fail fast, and then move forward. So do it quickly, recover from your mistakes, fix what needs to be fixed, then move forward and do it better next time because you can't avoid failure, but you can't minimize the damage that failure causes. I wish everybody who claims to be a Christian would adopt fail forward fast. We're a church family and should look at everyone who walks through the doors as just that, family. If they were worthy enough for Jesus to take on their sins and die on the cross, they're absolutely worthy of any help I might be able to give. I'm not saying we should enable people, because there's certainly a fine line between helping and enabling but we should absolutely be willing to reach out a hand and help people where we can to keep them moving forward when they fail instead of pushing them back down further. And when we fail, it's important personally, we get back on track as quickly as we can. Some people, they start feeling condemnation, they start feeling guilt, and they say, well, I can't witness to my neighbor, I can't read my Bible, I can't do these things because that problem I've been struggling with for months now, it snuck its head back up, and I just got to take a step back and let myself normalize before I can get back to God. Well, that's not the way we should think about that. When we fail, we need to crawl back to God as quickly as we can. Whenever we fail, we need to dig into his word to learn him better. When we fail, we need to put on some praise and worship music, set the atmosphere in our home so we can communicate with God, and most importantly, he can communicate back down to us. We should fall on our knees, tell God how important he is to us, and then magnify God for all that he is. You know, I remember a while back, I was talking to a pastor, and he made a comment. He said, you know, sometimes at the end of a service, I want to run to the front and fall on my face, but I'm worried that a congregation is going to think I'm failing in life, or that I have some hidden sin, or that I have some problem. And I thought about that, and the thought that came to mind was, the only way I could ever think if I saw a pastor come to the front and pray, and be the first one down on his face, think that he had something wrong in his life, was if I didn't need God. Because you see, I realize that I need God more than anything else in this world. And Just because I find my way to the front the fastest doesn't mean that I've messed up and done something crazy. It just knows that it's beyond me. I need God in my life to help me. It's nothing that I can do to fix my situation. You see, the second phrase I learned at this job is, what does good look like? And the concept here is simple as well. It's an acknowledgment that there is more than one way to be successful. However... Everyone who has been successful has demonstrated similar attributes, which is what good looks like. Therefore, they look for those attributes that denote success instead of scrutinizing the steps that people take to get there. I am not a world-class Bible scholar, but I want to share with you what God has shown me in Scripture about biblical success, and to help me illustrate that, we're going to use the kids' game of shoots and ladders. For those who do not remember how to play shoots and ladders, it's a rather simple game. Each square is numbered. There's a spinner. And as you spin that spinner, it gives you a number, and you move that many times on a square up in numerical order. If you hit a ladder, you get to advance. If you hit a chute, you fall back down. It's not like life a lot of times, isn't it? You're not quite sure where life's heading. You're not quite sure where you're going. Sometimes you get escalated up further than you thought you were going to. But other times you fall way down further and go back far beyond where you ever imagined you would end up. Romans 12 and one, which Romans 12, one through six is where we're gonna be getting most of our scripture from today. 12 and one says, we should present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Let's start with living sacrifice. What does that mean according to scripture? Well, Romans 6:12 through 14 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. You see, the simplest way that I can describe being living sacrifice in my own words is granting God control over our abilities, choices, and actions. By allowing God to direct our next steps, we give him access to work through us to change the world. When we allow him to work through us, we are that living sacrifice because we're putting his will above our own. We're putting his needs above our own, and we're seeing the world through his eyes, through his perception instead of our own. You see, we also need to be wholly acceptable unto God. Well, Romans 16, 17 through 20 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And one comment I'll say there, it's important you read your own scripture and you learn your own, learn your own Bible because sometimes this smooth talk and flattery that's deceiving the hearts of the naive, it may come from a source that you think is trustworthy. It may come from a source that may be up on this platform who has been led astray. So it's important for us to learn and show ourselves approved. So, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive, for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You see, wholly acceptable is a multi-layered construct that's unique for each individual based upon their relationship with God. The scripture says we are to watch out for anything contrary to God's word and his teachings, which are found in the Bible. This requires us to be good stewards and to seek out our own salvation through studying the word, rather than just depending on what you hear from guys like me. It's important that we seek it ourselves because someone will come along with a word that sounds good, a word that feels good, but it doesn't align to scripture and it will deceive your heart if you do not teach yourself. Most importantly, because our salvation is based upon our relationship with God and not a set of rules, holy acceptable is not a bulleted list of requirements, but rather an ideal state for each individual, depending on how deep your relationship with Christ is. God is the only one who can tell you, well done, my good and faithful servant. So he's the only one who can deem what is wholly acceptable. Your pastor and those with, Spiritual leadership above you can absolutely tell you what good looks like and help you get there, but they in no way can approve you and say, yes, you are going to make it to heaven. That's only for God. He is sovereign. Verse 1 is concluded with the words, which is your reasonable service. These words tell me that there is a debt that is owed. If I called a contractor out to my house, it's fairly standard practice for them to require a partial down payment to cover cost of materials, and then collect the balance at the end. It's also reasonable for that contractor to complete the degree work and expect a payment from me once he did that work for me. When Jesus died on the cross, he did a lot of work for us. He ripped that veil that separated man from God so we could commune with him personally. He made it personal. He made it possible for his spirit to live within us and for us to have a one-on-one relationship with him. The death of Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice marked the end of an era of regular sacrifice to cover sins. This covered sins for all time, so our payment, our reasonable service, is defined as being that living sacrifice. Because God did that for us, now it's on me to be his hands and feet to reach those around me. Moving on to Romans 12 and 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see what Paul is talking about here is discernment. First Peter one 14 through 14-15 says it this way, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. The only way for us to be holy in all of our conduct is to be able to discern good from bad and right from wrong. Not everything is good or bad, but everything can be good or bad. We can generally accept that murder is bad and we all agree to that. We can generally also all accept that praying is good. Praying to God, that's a good thing. The trouble comes in when we're talking about the middle ground. Just as an example, you know, I have kids, they like to play sports, and having them involved in sports can absolutely become one of those middle grounds and can be tricky to navigate. You see, I've always encouraged them to play football, to play basketball, pretty much everything but baseball, because I don't like baseball. But, I don't see anything wrong with it. I think it's great for them to be involved, to be athletic. It introduces new friends, helps them to build teammanship, all those things, right? That's not a word. I just made that up. Sportsmanship is the word I was looking for. Thank you. (laughs) But the trouble comes in when parents start dedicating more to their kids progressing in sports than a godly life. The trouble comes in when you're spending a lot of time and energy and practice and strategy and traveling for sports but you're putting very little effort into the things of God and teaching them how to be good Christians, teaching them how to study the Bible. There's nothing wrong with playing sports, but there certainly can be problems with idolizing sports and giving them a higher priority in our lives than God. If you want to read a good book that makes you feel bad about yourself, read a book called God's at War by Kyle Eidemann. That is a fantastic book, and if you think that there aren't any idols in your life, That book will help you examine what's going on in your life and will help you very quickly realize there are probably some things that have creeped up that list of priority higher than what they should have. But the same thing can be said for any hobbies or activities you do outside of church. Fishing, hunting, cars, crochet, whatever it is you do for fun. As humans, we absolutely need an outlet. Don't get me wrong. You should absolutely have an outlet. You should have fun. You should enjoy yourself, but we have to make sure that we're prioritizing God in our lives, and God remains that priority and nothing else. You see, discernment's not a special gifting. It's not a magical talent reserved for the spiritual elite. It's something that we all must practice through life to ensure we are living in a manner that is acceptable to God. We're talking tonight about what good looks like. So far, we've talked about giving God control over the direction of decisions in our lives, living life that's acceptable to God through using our own discernment and what is both good and bad in our lives. Romans 12 and 3 says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And we're simply being reminded to get off our high horse. The things that I have accomplished in life are only possible because of the grace God has given me. Without God, I am nothing, but with him, I am everything. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says, But he said to me, and this is Jesus, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, killer Saul turned to Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen, highly educated, highly respected, and essentially the pinnacle of what a man could be from society's perspective. He was then blinded by the light on the road to Damascus, which began his transformation to Paul. As a Christian at that time, he had now surpassed the knowledge and recognition of other followers of Jesus in a much shorter time frame. You see, he had every logical reason to think of himself highly, yet he consistently writes of the grace that was given to him. He's reminding us that it's not our own accomplishments, abilities, talents, or self-worth that impresses God. It's our ability to suppress our flesh, feed our spirit, and remain available to God's plan that impresses him. God is the creator of our personal talents, and we have none of those without him, which means you don't have to bring any personal talent to the table in order to be used by God. Furthermore, we don't need inner peace or inner strength. We need God peace, We need God's strength. If we rely upon ourselves for peace and strength, there's no room for God to supply to you. And what happens when you rely on yourself for your own inner peace, when things come along in your life that are outside of your control, what do you do? You lose your peace. You know, many times we do look at pride as something that's external and can be measured by others, but the more common pride is the reliance of ourselves and things that we can fix instead of giving it to God and letting him fix it the right way. Romans twelve four through 6 says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another, having been gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. What the scripture is saying is that we're all different members of the same body who have callings based on the grace that was given to us. We like to say that God created all men equal, but that's not necessarily true. God created all men equivalent. If we were all truly equal in the same in all aspects, we would all be the same member. We would all be Josh Payne's running around preaching, and nobody would be listening to us because we'd just all be preaching the whole time. Right? We'd all be greeting at the door, and there would be nobody to sing. We'd all be singers, and there would be nobody to worship if we all had the same office. So while we're not created equal, we're all equivalent because we all have the same importance. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20, a little bit long, but we'll get through it. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. While God's spirit is equal through the body, the offices held by the members differ. This is not to say that they're important and unimportant because all members of the body are required for the body to be functional. Greeters, you're needed. Elders, you're needed. The revive team, you're needed. Pastor, you're needed. Sunday school teachers and youth leaders, you're needed. And if I'm going to be completely honest with you, The group who teach our kids and young people are one of the main reasons I chose the river as my home church. You see, I started singing in church when I was 12 years old, and since that time, I have been told about the importance of the worship team in setting the atmosphere for God to move in church. Well, let me tell you who else has been vitally impactful in my life to setting the atmosphere. It's the greeters. Men, y'all know, at least I know, if I'm going to get in a fight with my wife or my kids, it's going to be Sunday morning on the way to church. Every single time, I'm telling you, Monday through Saturday, no problems. Sunday morning, I don't know what the kids do. I don't know what they eat Saturday night, but they're going crazy in the car the whole hour ride to church. So let me tell you, whenever I get here, whenever I walk through the three different waves of greeters we have, even if I'm angry, I'm frustrated with my kids, I'm wanting to beat the daylights out of them, I see that first smiling face and I'm like, yep, good to see you. See, the second one, I'm like, well, it is good to see a smile at first. But a third one, I forgot about what I was fighting with the kids with, and I'm just happy to be at church. Yeah. Just being honest with you. You see, the position God has called you to is the most impactful that you can ever be in, the God, in God's kingdom, regardless of how big or small you believe your role is. I've heard older preachers say things like, too many young men are being called to preach instead of being called to save souls. I don't ever want to find myself in a place where I'm directing my next steps instead of walking by faith and trusting in God. When we feel our calling is unimportant, it's not only impacting us personally, but it's going to impact our church as a whole. Ephesians 4 and 16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How many here have enjoyed the growth we've had at the river? It can't be just me, who's enjoyed the growth we've had? There's no important or unimportant functions in the body. It's the small parts, the people who do the work behind the scenes that you don't know about. The work that happens not on Sunday and Wednesday that really is holding this place together. You see, without the small parts, the bigger parts don't work. Without the ligaments, the tendons, the muscles, the larger functions just simply don't exist. Everybody is extremely valuable to the kingdom of God. Verse 6 of Romans 12 says having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Well, for those who haven't realized it by yet, life is not fair. We've all been given a different amount of grace. Some people, just to give you an example, are born into wealthy, healthy homes, while others born into broken homes that have struggled to make ends meet. It's not fair but we all must focus on the path that God has set us on, regardless of where you start from. Because that's what good looks like. As the musicians, come up and help me. You see, tonight we talked about living a holy, acceptable life unto Christ and being a living sacrifice. We talked about the necessity of discernment in our everyday lives and living with humility. We covered the importance of all members of the body regardless of different callings, and we talked about walking through faith. If we put that all together and look at life as a whole, it starts to look a lot like chutes and ladders. You see, Psalms 119 says, the word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. I was talking with Daryl Carbo and he said, as a Christian, we read that scripture and we want to think about that light as cue Q-beam, something that we can shine out way far into the distance and see what is coming our way. Know what's coming next, but that's not the way it's written. Because if you could see what's coming, you don't need faith. If you know what's around the corner, there's no reason to walk by faith. And if you're not walking by faith, then God isn't really in it. So just imagine with me, if you will, for me, that this platform is a giant game of shoots and ladders. This is a biblically accurate lamp, by the way. I just wanna throw that out there. It's a little small, but it's accurate. So if you're walking through life with this lamp and each one of these carpet squares was a square in that game, I might could see the square in front of me, the square to the left or right, but it's gonna take faith to keep walking because I don't know what's coming next. So as I'm walking through life, and there are many challenges, we all start from a different place. You know, some of us might, I'm gonna blow this thing out before it catches the platform fire. We might start out in square one, broken home, not wealthy, hard times. You might look at your neighbor sitting on a pew next, you said, man, they started on square 25. They're right at the base of a ladder. They're about to make their way up. Life's not fair. But you have to take that lamp, you have to use the discernment, and you have to keep walking through life. Taking that next step as God directs you to go. Now, there's some pitfalls as you're walking through life. First one we'll talk about is going to be that shoot. Because bad things are going to happen. That whole fail forward fast thing, you're going to fail. It's going to happen. Now, when you hit that shoot, what differs from this screen to what happens in real life You don't have to slide all the way to the bottom. There's no reason as soon as you fail, you can't run back to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I messed up. I know I messed up. I know I'm not living the way I'm supposed to. I know I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. So I'm going to make my way back to you. I'm going to get back on that path as soon as I can because I'm not going down to the bottom. Now, if somebody's next to you and you see them falling, reach out a hand to them. Encourage them. Love them. Help them out if you can. So I can tell you, I've been on some shoots in my life and I've had a lot of people who were not interested in helping me out. And every harsh word, every time you won't look them in the eye, every time you won't shake their hand, you're throwing grease on that shoot and you're sending them down faster. And they're going to go all the way to that bottom of that thing and they're going to hit rock bottom at the end. Whenever you're personally going down it, you start reaching out to God as much as you can. Then we come to the ladders, thinking, man, ladders are great. Ladders let me cheat the system. I get to go up this thing and skip a few rows. Well, there's some problems with ladders. Because in life, as you're walking your spiritual valley, or you're walking through the spiritual walk, you're getting closer and you're building your relationship with God. And there are going to be times where God may elevate you in your spiritual walk. So we start climbing that ladder. The problem comes in when we get stuck on this thing. A lot of people, they start getting ahead in life and they get stuck on the top of that ladder and now where am I? I'm looking down on everybody else. I think, hey, I'm special. God really did something with me. He didn't do it all these people. I'm real spiritual. I'm at the top of this ladder. But the truth is, if you're looking at this board, God's not looking at it sideways like we are. He's looking at it from the top down. You see, no matter where you are, God is looking at you. It doesn't matter if you're at square one. It doesn't matter if you're all the way at the end. God looks down and says, hey, they're walking that spiritual walk. They're walking by faith. They're taking one step after the other. And they're doing it wholly acceptable in the way that I've called them to do it. Church, I hope this word has blessed you. If we all could, if we all could stand, I'd like us just to pray for a moment. Because I don't know where everybody is in your spiritual walk. I don't know what kind of trials you're facing. I don't know what kind of struggles you have. But I know one thing. God has called us all for something very important. He's called us all to do a function in this church. And he wants us to live that holy, acceptable life unto Christ.